Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, convention, intervention, a spirit endangered, Sam Wilson at the end of the line, a house of the devil, plus our kick-butt poll of the week. Stephen asked Alpha 5 to gather five teenagers with attitude, but instead he got Orange Ranger Ashley, Plaid Ranger Rodrigo, and Ultraviolet Ranger Matthew. But at least our combined volume is that of five teenagers. Go, go, faithful spoilerites, the major spoilers podcast is on the air. Aye, aye, aye. Welcome to issue 721 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this show and sharing all of those five-star reviews and all the other cool things that you do. And um, I guess we're going to get into this because we've got Power Rangers stuff to talk about later in the show. So let us do some news. Three items to pick from this week. We have what's going on with Comic-Cons. DC Comics announces Dark Days. And the secret empire is growing. Oh, let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where that lands. And we land on what's going on with Comic-Cons. So uh, over the weekend, uh, the New York Comic-Con sent out a notice that said, you may or may not know that the Javits Center is going to be under construction. This means we'll be working with some uh, some, uh, limited space. And we want to make sure that many people have the opportunity to buy tickets and come to the show as possible. So therefore... We are only selling single-day tickets. We will not be selling three- and four-day passes for the New York Comic-Con. Now, that's a pretty good excuse, I guess, um, for why they want to go to single-day passes. But I've seen some chatter that there may be more conventions that want to do away with the multi-day pass. Good idea? Bad idea? Let's go to Rodrigo. It really depends on what the numbers show, you know, like, well, I, the, I mean, I don't have these numbers necessarily, but sure. the biggest problem is you, that go ahead. most conventions now are sold out uh, mm-hmm. with the with the rare exceptions. There are very few that uh, you can just walk up to the gate and buy tickets. There may be some that that set aside maybe a couple of hundred, but most of the time you have to buy your tickets in advance and you for the best bang of your buck because of the way they spread things out, you need to buy things over the multiple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from that's from a consumer standpoint, but from the vendor standpoint, uh, 
Um, I think they probably would stand to gain more money. It makes kind of this more granular experience, right? So if you are a um, a convention goer that wants to go for the whole convention, then you have to buy three tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, if you only want to go to a particular panel, then you only have to pay for the one day that you're going, right? I mean, that right. is something that existed already. You could always do that. Um, but, um, this is, this has to be like a a hidden advantage for the cons, uh, you know, in some way. That's what I was trying to send. Oh, well, I'll say it. Go ahead. Um, either to, uh, quietly increase the cost. So it used to be that you could buy, it's like a three day pass is the same as buying two and a half days. Mm-hmm. You know, and now it's not because it's not available. Um, so you're buying all three days or um, each individual ticket is just expensive enough that it is going to cover. Um, it's going to cover more than a single convention goer going, if that makes sense. Right. It's it's right. like each individual day will more than cover the cost of somebody walking around. Um, you know, knocking trash cans over and uh, harassing cosplayers. (laughs) And so I'm looking at San Diego Comic-Con from a couple of years ago. Uh, They, their preview night tickets were $35 for adults, 18 for kids. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday were $50 for adults, $25 for kids. And Sunday they were $35 for adults and 17 for kids. That's usually the, you know, the day that the convention wraps up, you don't get a full day. You're basically getting a till five o'clock PM kind of thing. Um, in 2015, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, only sold single day Comic-Con tickets, uh, instead of doing a multi-day pass. Uh, and so Rodrigo, I suppose you're right that if you are selling your single day passes all for 50 bucks Mm -hmm. and, uh, someone wants to get in, uh, on a, on a Thursday, uh, they're going to shell out the 50 bucks. And if they want to get in on all three days, they'll shell out 150 or more. Whereas in years past, if you were doing a multi-day pass, maybe it was only a hundred bucks. So it seems like that going to a single day option is in the best interest monetarily for a convention. I wonder too, if, uh, if it's a numbers issue, if they are seeing their numbers drop because everybody goes on, goes the, like everybody's buying three day passes. They, everybody goes the first day, then fewer people go the second day, then fewer people go the third day, right? Well, um, probably more than likely what's happening is people buy the three-day passes so they can get in on Saturday, and they're ditching the Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday, and Sunday. Sure. So the other way around, right? Yeah. Uh, any configuration of it. So you have days where, sure, everybody paid to be there to, to one degree or another, but fewer people are there. The floor probably looks a little bit more scarce on everything. If you ensure that everybody's paying full price for every day, not only are you making sure that people are going to try it to go to every day to get more bang for their buck, but also you can sell individual day passes to people that only want to be mm-hmm. there for the second day or the third day or whatever. Yeah, I think that's that maybe uh, a big numbers issue. I think you've got it very close there, Rodrigo. Matthew, what are your thoughts on on all of this? I'm wondering if it isn't kind of a matter of trying to maximize your attendees or at least, you know, on one level, an explanation as trying to maximize your attendees. Because if you figure you buy a three day pass, you go when you feel like going. If you don't feel like going, you hang out in the hotel and have a $50 hamburger. But 
if you can only get Sunday or if you only want to go Sunday, then theoretically somebody who would have bought that three day pass and maybe not gone on Sunday is no longer in the equation. That would mean theoretically more tickets available for people who just want mm-hmm. to go and enjoy whatever they can. I think it also potentially cuts down on people sharing their passes where, right. Hey right. man, I, I got a three day pass. I'm not going to go on Sunday, but if anybody wants it, here you go. And so, um, that's potentially lost revenue. Although I know that the conventions have tried to keep that from happening. It's very hard though. I mean, unless everyone's got a photo ID yeah. and you got face recognition at the door, uh, it's going to be impossible to do that. And, and especially with, uh, so many media guests who have a multi-day pass who may share that afterwards or resell it afterwards, that becomes a, a little bit harder to track. But yeah, I think that if, if someone's buying a three day pass only to get on on Saturday and maybe Sunday, uh, and you're now making people buy it on a per day basis, then I think that that forces the other days to fill up and be more valuable and make people more productive on the show floor. I got to wonder though, if it's going to cause certain problems like, um, the second day selling out, but the other two not. So you'll end up with people that can only go to the con on Friday and Sunday and can't get in on Saturday. Yeah, the the big problem was, especially with San Diego Comic-Con from my my memory of, of recent years, is that as soon as the tickets would open, Saturdays would always sell out within minutes, like literally two minutes after tickets would go on sale. Saturday would be sold out and that some of it was single day, some of it was three day, but Saturday completely sold out. Then a few minutes later, you'd have Friday and then it would be Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday. Um, or maybe it was a other way around because I know a lot of people like to go to preview night so that they can get all the stuff early. Um, but it, it, but it seems like this will help even things out to the benefit of the people going to the show so that everyone can, you know, have some time on the floor, but also to the benefit of the convention because, now they don't have to sell multi-day passes at a discount. And right. I th- and I think that's the most interesting aspect of it. I think it will make it more difficult to go to the entire con. But yes. it may make accessibility on a grander, on like a wider scale. Yeah, I, th- I think that is the biggest disadvantage because if you're someone who's used to buying multi-day passes because you have a panel you want to go to on Saturday or on Thursday, there's a signing on Friday, there's a Hall H on Saturday, and then something else going on, um, man, you could really get screwed out in in a very few minutes if, if you're not fast enough with that, with that mouse click. Now, the other thing that would be interesting, now this is what we're talking about is specifically the New York Comic Con uh, eliminating three and four day tickets. I think right. it'll be interesting if somebody like San Diego Comic Con has floor tickets and then they have they sell only Hall H tickets. I think you would really see the Hall H tickets selling out before the rest of the Saturday tickets do. Probably. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. And listeners, if you have been going to conventions and you have noticed that your convention is moving away from multi-day tickets to a single-day uh, ticket purchase, uh, I would like to hear from you. Uh, head over to Majorspoilers.com in the comments section and um, uh, let us know what's going on and what your opinion is on whether a convention should continue to sell multi-day tickets or stick around with uh, one-day-only tickets. If you want to hear Wayne Hall's uh, thoughts on this, uh, because he is planning on he goes to a lot of conventions uh, for us, uh, head over and check out his article, uh, the Comics Portal for this week, What is Happening to Comic Conventions, where he discusses his thoughts and reactions uh, to all of this. While you're over there, if you like our show and you want to see it continue, 
uh, then I would ask that uh, you head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. That's where you can show your support by kicking in a few bucks every every month. Uh, really, two bucks a month, five bucks a month. The average right now for everyone that uh, contributes is about five dollars a month. It's actually about six fifty when you add in our ten and twenty five dollar uh, contributors and higher. Uh, but five dollars a month. All we're asking. That's about a buck a show. For the Major Spoilers podcast, or if you count in, Matthew, how many did we count the other day? 20 other shows that we're producing. Uh, if you count all, count all those in, it's about 10 cents a show, um, 25 cents a show uh, per week, per month. Uh, so head over there. We can use your support, patreon.com slash major spoilers. We are not owned by a mega corporation or a big TV studio or a movie studio or anything like that. We're an independent podcasters at heart, and we want to continue to produce content for you. So head to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Now that the news is out of the way, how about we jump into some reviews? Reviews. Matthew, why don't we start with you with uh, Captain America Sam Wilson number 20. I believe that was out last week. It was last uh, Wednesday on the 15th, I believe. All right. Captain America Sam Wilson number 20. People have, um, there has been some big talky-talky about uh, Captain America Steve Rogers. Hail Hydra. Spencer's work on that book. Exactly. So this companion piece, Captain America, Sam Wilson, Punch Nazis. is, an, well, this is actually an equally challenging book to the idea of the old Captain America being a, a Hydra agent and or a de facto Nazi. Captain America, Sam Wilson has been dealing with issues of race relations and issues of uh police interactions with people of color. So in the last couple of issues, the Americops, who are a private police force run by, yeah, run by a bunch of jerks, have, they have arrested Rage of the New Warriors. Now you may remember Rage for two things. Rage is the enormous African-American man in the the tiger-striped mask, and he's also actually 14 years old. Oh, okay. So not Bronze Tiger. No, you're thinking of a different guy. That's the DC universe. Oh, okay. Rage has been arrested for a crime that he did not commit. The book is explicit that he did not commit it, but the only footage they have is psychic Falcon footage from Captain America, which is not admissible in court. Last issue, Rage was in fact convicted of the crime he did not commit. So New York City is basically rioting. And the Americops, who are faceless, uh, very militarized police force, spends this issue shooting at people. Um, Basically, it is difficult to read this issue because there are people looting. There are, you know, there is very clearly a race riot going on in New York City. And it is being attacked by these guys in faceless suits that look very paramilitary. And it is... Kind of hard to wrap my mind around all of this. Is it? I, I'm I, I, so Nick Spencer writes the Captain America series where Hail Hydra, yes. uh, Steve Rogers is is a is a Hydra agent, and everyone's like up in arms because how dare he d- does that? Right. What's he doing here? Is he? He's not trying to. He's not trying it's, to increase tension between no, but they, minorities and police. This is he, the I mean, thing. I'm trying and to figure, this... and the wits is a weird thing, just because of Nick Spencer's politics that seem to kind of be all over the place. Well, you know, Nick has his opinions, and he has the right to have his opinions. Right, the right, thing right. about this book is that 
uh, the creative team is entirely Caucasian males. Mm -hmm. And so throughout this issue, we have Captain America trying to find a way to get rage, you know, out of prison or to get rage another trial and to get the city to stop rioting. And at one point he actually goes on television and specifically says, we can't do this. It's never acceptable and it undermines the cause. And then immediately we see him going, you know, do I have to actually mean the words coming out of my mouth? He's very angry and he wants to get involved in the protest, which is interesting. Right, right. But again, this is a thing that we've run into many, many times recently at Marvel is it is an all Caucasian male creative team writing this story. Mm -hmm. And when you take into account the fact that Rage is canonically 14 years old. Yeah. This gets even more, I don't want to say heavy handed, but there's a definite element here. Uh, Rage is also shipped off to a metahuman prison and not protected effectively because he is a known superhero in a prison full of supervillains. So by the end of the issue, Rage has been badly beaten in the prison. Mm. And of course, you know, the city is ready to explode. Yeah. And the person who caused it all is in the hospital on the edge of death. As the issue comes to an end, Captain America is just sitting in his room silently in tears. And it's a very strong moment. But it's a moment that I'm very conflicted about because I don't know if this is necessarily Nick Spencer's story to be telling. Now, that said, I like it when, you know, comic books, when our pop culture actually addresses issues and addresses them in a manner that is constructive. But once again, we come to that question of, do you have something to say about it? And this issue's main thrust seems to be that there's no winning, that the divide is, it cannot be overcome, that terrible things are going to happen and that, you know, everybody's life is going to suck one way or another. And then you'll eventually get beaten to death in prison, which I suppose is a point of view, but I feel like I want, I want a book like this, a book that is essentially about a race riot. I want it to say something. I want it to have a message other than, boy, this sure is complex, you guys. And that's, I think that's my biggest problem here. Much like, what are the ramifications? What's the underpinning? What happens when you make that first patriotic superhero into a proto-Nazi? The question of what happens when you take one of the first African-American heroes and stick him in the middle of, you know, a plot torn right out of the headlines of 2015 and 2016 with overzealous quasi-military police shooting basically a teenage African-American and taking mm -hmm. him to prison. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are, what are you saying, Nick Spencer? And well, I that's don't what I'm trying to figure out. No, I don't know. I would say that the art is well done. There's a, there's a very stiffness to the figure work. So the sequence where all of a sudden a bunch of uh, identical, unidentifiable superhumans show up and start fighting rage, it's all very posed and very stagey, mm. which is a little bit of a problem. But I feel like the facial expressions do help. There's a sequence where we go and meet Sam Wilson's brother, who is uh, a preacher, I believe. I'm not sure if he's like a, a pastor or something specific, but we have a sequence where he speaks to his, uh, his congregation about the situation. That's really strong. And the facial expressions are really well done. 
But what it really comes down to for me is we've got all of these allusions to the real world. But you, you can't just put that on your head and say, this is my hat and I'm going to tell a superhero story with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's, there's no, at least this issue doesn't give me a larger perspective or an expectation that they're trying to say something other than this is all bad y'all. And I mean, yeah, it, it does take guts to address this. It's not, you know, it's not an easy topic to address, but again, I feel like maybe it's, not necessarily Nick Spencer's story to tell. So again, not a bad issue, a very challenging issue, a very troubling issue, two and a half slices of meatloaf overall. Um, it's well-drawn in some places, very stiff in others. So again, both the art and the story are kind of giving me two different things at the same time, still an above average issue. And I will probably check out 21, you know, because they've been, they've been, doing this arc now for 20 issues and they've been really delving into things and just, I don't feel like there's all the substance that they, that I really want out of a, this complex, a discussion, I guess. Okay. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, uh, tell us about Diablo house. Diablo house. That's, <laughs> I, I think that's what Matthew calls his house nowadays. No, I call it the other house. The house over there, and the house over here, and the other house over there. No? So, okay. Uh, okay. So, Diablo House is um, a new anthology series. It is a horror anthology series um, by uh, Ted Adams, who is, like, the uh, CEO of IDW, I think. Really? Yeah. So he's he's writing his own book, and it is a a pretty interesting uh, setting for a horror anthology. Um, it is uh, the 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 um, the through line, the overriding um, setup for the the stories told is the Diablo House, which is a spooky house. That is a tourist attraction in basically San Diego. Um, and of course, if you're going to have an anthology series set, set in a spooky place, you need a spooky narrator, right? And the uh, spooky narrator for Diablo House is a surfer named Riley. Hey, dudes, my <laughs> name's Riley. Welcome to Diablo House. Uh, yeah, it's it, like totally Diablo, dude. I really was not expecting it. Um, it works because he's creepy. Uh, so already, uh, right off the bat, this um, this comic does something that wasn't I really didn't think was possible. Not because I ever pondered it, but because it's kind of a ludicrous notion of making a threatening, creepy surfer. Um, hey, man! I said, so- give me a dollar. Yeah, so there's there's Come that. On, what's your problem? Uh, Give me a dollar, man. So like, uh, probably probably the first third of the comic is kind of an introduction to what Diablo House is about. Um, has some uh, pointed current event stuff in it as well, uh, which is interesting. And then the rest of the comic is a single story 
which is kind of the overview of uh, basically this couple and their life and kind of how they uh, they end up essentially destroying their own lives and Diablo houses involved, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. The art is really good. I'm actually really into this art. It fits the tone really well, like I said. It's really kind of what holds it all together because, A, the, uh, the design of Diablo House is really cool. Um, and the design of Riley actually does make, like, weirdly for a creepy uh, narrator. Um, you know, and they totally do that thing where, like, there's the story will be going on and then you'll see like a little bubble with his head poking out of it and he's talking. So you get to see like his facial expressions as he's like narrating the story to you. It's, it's interesting. Um, and it does have that kind of old school vibe while again, being like weirdly modernly referential and having a surfer for a narrator. Um, uh, kind of not my thing but it's not bad um so i'm gonna give it three slices of meatloaf there's nothing wrong with it um it is right now part of the humble comics bundle colon creator showcase so um not only is it available but you can probably get it on the extra cheap and i think there's an additional thing that you can maybe click or select or something that gets you a signed copy um so there's that Cool. Uh, yeah. Three slices of meatloaf. All right. Yep. Well, I have a book that I totally am into. It's Will Eisner's The Spirit Corpse Maker Number 2, written and illustrated and covered by Francisco Francovia, uh, one of my all-time favorite artists. And oh my gosh, <laughs> if you thought issue number one was really good, issue two continues it. Now, there isn't as much... Uh, scariness and what the heck's going on and, oh my gosh, look out, someone's about to grab you kind of stuff like there was in the first issue. This one is all about how the insp- how the spirit interrogates people he's trying to get information from. And it's cleverly done and it's right in line with what I think uh, Eisner would have done with this character. And then because this is Franco Villa's work, we're also introduced to a private investigator who is roped into this um, mystery of, of who's stealing bodies in a very unorthodox way. She's hired to find out if this guy is is having an affair, and it turns out he may be one of the big bads behind uh, all the bodies disappearing. And uh, it gets really interesting, especially what when she sees what goes down underneath the railroad tracks. And it is so good. And the colors uh, this issue are... Uh, dark blues and dark purples mixed with the yellow, and it's just so cool. I mean, most of the time when we see things like Afterlife with Archie or a lot of other of uh, Frank Avia's work, uh, it's a lot of reds and blacks uh, and oranges. Uh, it's really cool to see this on the opposite side, adhering to this blue color scheme that you kind of know about uh, Will Eisner's uh, spirit. And if you're looking for the spirit uh, wording to appear in the book, it does appear, but you will need to check out the double page spread and you will need to check out those windows behind the spirit as he's taken a beat down to the bad guys. This is just nothing but fun. I'm hoping that uh, when this uh, series ends, which I think is five issues long, 
Uh, I'm hoping that Dynamite has already signed him up for two other series uh, with the Spirit because I think Frank Avia really gets the pulp characters, number one. I think he gets the time period that they're supposed to be in, and he doesn't try to force the modern age onto these characters to try to make them more relatable to the reader because these characters are the product of their time period. And, um, and I think they need to stay there. And, and Frank Avia does a wonderful job this week, uh, out this week from dynamite entertainment, will Eisner's the spirit corpse maker. Number two, three ninety nine book, five slices of meatloaf for me. Can't go wrong with this. This is a, this is a pick up and read book. Yeah, it really is nice. Uh, okay, uh, if you want to read more reviews, head over to Majorspoilers.com. That's where everything is. Everyone's like, oh, where can I find this? It's at Majorspoilers.com. Where can I find this? It's at Majorspoilers.com. If you're looking for it, it's more than likely Majorspoilers.com. Now, if someone says, hey, where are the winning lottery tickets? We don't have those. If we did, we'd have everyone hired full time, and we'd be doing Yay! shows every single day for you. Da -da 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 -da. We'd also be bringing you the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Quick, 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 quick. Been thinking a lot about. We've been playing a lot of um, game systems on Critical Hit. Yes, the poll. Um, and some somebody were asked. People were asking me over the weekend. You know what my favorite system was, and I was like, I really don't have one. I, I enjoy them all. Actually, they were asking me which of the systems we've played do I hate the most. And I was uh -huh. like, Well, I haven't hated any of them. I really which kind of enjoy all favorite? of them. Ah, that's that's hard to tell because I can really play in all of the systems. Given yeah. the right game. It's, I mean, it really is tough to separate the game from the system in some situations. Some, some people have a problem separating the story from the system. Some people right. are like, well, if you're going to do this, the, you can only play in this, this format. And I think over the last uh, couple of months and years, seeing that, you know, you can play a, you know, you don't have to have Dungeons and Dragons set in a high fantasy world. You can mm. have it set in you know, a post-apocalyptic world. You can have Pathfinder set in a Western world. You can have, you can create whatever world you want with a fate system kind of thing. And so I kind of dig that um, once people figure out, and maybe it's a little bit more work for the GM and the players, but I think once you figure out that you can use the system in a different setting, I think it makes all the systems very interesting. And so the question that I asked this week was which of the following RPG systems do you like the most. It's not saying which one is the best. It's not saying which ones do you hate. It says which of the following do you like the most? And I've got Dungeons and Dragons, any edition of that, Mutants and Masterminds, Savage Worlds, Shadowrun, Call of Cthulhu, Pathfinder, Spirit of the Century, Fate, any version of Fate, and World of Darkness. So those are our, our options for this time, even though you there don't are, have enough ends, brother. I don't have you enough. Can't yeah. play World of Darkness. Yeah. Um, I'm just amazed at the many, many, many systems that are out there. There are hundreds of different systems out there. Oh, yeah. This is just a small smattering. So, Matthew, why don't we start with you? All Which right. si system do you like the most? Well, I'm probably incredibly biased. And by probably, I mean totally. And by incredibly, I mean sure. But... My bias right now is the last game that I really, really system loved, not necessarily just the storyteller or the interactions or the people that I was hanging with, but where I went, yeah, I like this system. I like what they're doing was uh, Fate, the expanded uh, Fate that we did with Brian on Critical Hit. Yeah. 
And that character creation process and the, the point where we were collaborating to create that world, that was amazing to me. I love that so much. And I've never been one to, you know, I, I'm not a page three, paragraph 24 kind of guy. I would rather be more of a, can we do this? No. Well, what can we do? And what can, you know, it first of all, it has to look awesome. But I really enjoyed that, the collaborative process. And I really enjoyed the fact that even though Brian was our storyteller, I felt like we all had a massive amount of input to what came out of that game. And it came out feeling more collaborative and I think in a lot of ways more organic of an experience than I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not to say that any other system or any other game is bad. He said to, to the dungeon master, like right over there. Oh no, 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 no. I, I mean, uh, the, the, the main stage critical hit game is kind of collaborative, but I'm driving it. Like right, there's a right, lot right. of me in that game. Right. And like, I, yeah, to you, say you that everybody has an equal part is like, now. no, I like, I get out the broom and just sh- slap everybody around plenty of times so yeah no totally fate was like a thousand percent more cooperative than uh the main mm-hmm. stage Hit game mm-hmm. rodrigo what do, you, what do you go with uh this was this was hard um for two reasons one uh there's a couple of systems that i was like i'm gonna vote for it. oh that's not on the list right um, right and also because a few of the ones on the list I really like, you know, I've had great experiences with Dungeons and Dragons. Obviously, mm-hmm. we run mm-hmm. a Dungeons and Dragons game, yeah, um, and we've had great moments with them. I really enjoy Fourth Edition because it basically took everything that I didn't like about Dungeons and Dragons, and conversely, what everybody else liked about Dungeons and Dragons, and threw it out. Um, but uh, and I I started role playing really seriously with World of Darkness, so I have a lot of. Uh, a lot of love for it but for me it's also fate because fate wow. uh really emphasizes what i like about uh role playing right um i'm someone who does enjoy the crunch of the game so there are games out there where it is fun for me to sit down and be like how many modifiers can i get on this or if i combine these two options can i actually do what i think they can do um, that's really not present in a lot of versions of Fate. And once that does become present in Fate, it kind of starts to break down. Um, but be- the fact that that's not there really brings the storytelling to the fore. And, I mean, Modern City is a great example of us coming in with nothing, like with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. zero pre-planning and really creating a setting right then and there in front of your very eyes, right? This is something that Fate can do and something that you can do with other games, but then you have to spend a lot of time making it work work with the system, whereas Fate is just right then and there, it already works. Right. Yep. Well, this is going to be interesting because um, I thought I was the only one that was going to pick Fate as my, as my, my the one that I like the most, uh, but it turns out all three of us did. And I, I pick Fate because it's really rules light. And yeah, I'm not... Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of of the crunchy stuff, uh, as I've said before. Um, and, and the easier it is to get into the game, and the more you can fudge things around, and you know, uh, the I really, uh, really get a kick out of that. So we know what you did there. <laughs> we see. Yeah. So for me, I really got a kick out of Fate, Fate Accelerated. 
Uh, I've been going through the upcoming um, Fate of Cthulhu uh, game that's coming out. And Cthulhu. yeah, Fate of Cthulhu is really kind of cool. I, I dig it. And I think you guys would, too. Um, so for me, it's it's fate. And I really dig it. And again, I enjoy Dungeons and Dragons. I enjoyed the fourth edition. I enjoyed fifth edition. I enjoyed the reading the manuals from AD&D. You know, that was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the heck out of Pathfinder. And I love the Call of Cthulhu game that we've we've played. Um, I know Brian has, keeps telling me Savage Worlds and uh, Spirit of the Century that I need to get into as well. Um, but uh, right now, fate is fate is the one that if someone told me to pick from a list of what I wanted to play, it'd be fate. Matthew, how has everyone else uh, voted so far? I know it's uh, still fairly early in the uh, game. It is, however, as we expected, fifty-four uh, percent of the votes in the bag right now saying Dungeons and Dragons, any version. And, you know, that is a massive chunk of any role-playing oh, game sure. system. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by that. Interestingly, Fate coming in second, 13%. Spirit of the Century right in there. Shadowrun and Mutants and Masterminds at 7%. World of Darkness did not make the showing I thought it would. I thought World of Darkness would be up there. I am not familiar yeah. with Spirit of the Century. What's, what's Spirit of the Century? Well, Spirit of the Century is actually like a Fate slash cortex kind of thing mm. i mean it uh, the system is very close to to fate or might actually straight up be fate but the idea spirit of the century you guys remember um god what was it what was that book the one with like sliding albion and like oh the, the uh, jenny sparks right the authority the authority right basically uh it is a game based on Jenny Sparks, like ah, okay. you are a spirit of the century. Okay, okay. Oh, I so, love Jenny Sparks. You sold me. I'm in. <laughs> you are uh, Let's basically play it right the, now. Yeah, the premise is um, your mentor was a spirit. Basically, it starts in the beginning of the 20th century. Your mentor is this person from the previous century. So, in like in one game that we played, like uh, Rob's mentor was like Sherlock Holmes, and he was like a detective guy. Um, my, I was like a big, rich Texan guy and like my mentor was, um, I forget the actual character's name, but it was like, it, well, it was from, no, they have to be like fictional characters, but it was a oh, guy okay. from a Horatio Alger story. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was, you know, it's like that idea is like the, the rich guy from the previous century is kind of like, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. So why doesn't, uh, why hasn't uh, world of darkness had the showing that you, that Matthew thought it would? Uh, I think it's there's a few reasons. Um, first off, D and D, especially once you throw down all the edition warring and you get everybody together, just has such a massive amount of the market share. It is the most popular role playing game. It's like saying, "What do you prefer to drink, Coke and Pepsi, or Tab?" <laughs> you know, like you're just gonna get a lot of people there, mm -hmm. um, so they're gonna eat up a lot of the thing. And I think. Um, World of Darkness has a zealous following and a deep following, but one that really doesn't um, doesn't spend a lot of time like making it like big and 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 public. I think there are pockets of people, and there's plenty of people. I'm in some Facebook groups, and people post to it multiple times a day, every day. Right? People are still reading these books. Um, the current sort of license holder for them, uh, Onyx Path, is putting out new books and kind of like re, 
like a remastering old books, like uh, the 20th edition versions of Vampire the Masquerade, Mage the Awakening, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Those are all those have all come out, and people are into them. But I, I think like World of Darkness is just not doesn't have as vocal fans. Um, they're just kind of off on their own doing their thing, and they've been playing the same systems forever. Um, whereas Dungeons and Dragons is like out there, like churning it out with like Hasbro's machinery behind it, mm-hmm. just kind of pushing new additions, pushing new games, pushing new supplements in a way that basically no other company can really compete. Cool. Interesting. Well, listeners, I want you to head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. There's, I mean, no one's going to look down on you if you don't pick Dungeons and Dragons. Um, sure they are. Nah, they'll like, only look Ooh. down on they'll only look down on you if you pick fourth edition over fifth edition. That kind if of stuff. If you pick the wrong edition, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, the yeah. thing. That that is the that is the weird thing about this poll is that if you had broken it down by edition, oh yeah, no, that's why I did not. That is like, why I did not. Would have yeah, we would have destroyed the universe. Would have gotten all of the like denial of service attacks. <laughs> but by uniting all the Dungeons and Dragons people, there's like no fight to to be had. Right. Although I'm still, I'm really still surprised. I I really thought after Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder would be uh, the number two, and it's well, it's not at the moment. And again, we're still I will, early in this I will poll. Say, most people maybe just saw Dungeons and Dragons any edition and clicked it immediately uh, without realizing that Pathfinder was an option because Pathfinder is. A type of Dungeons and yeah, Dragons. Yeah, it's 3.5 without the... 3.75, copy- right? 3.75 without the copyright. 3.875. Uh, 3. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So head over there. Uh, there's some good comments. People are, are putting some some thought into their answers and why they voted the way that they did. And I like seeing that. It's all over at Majorspoilers.com. Oh, boy. Here we go. Coming out this week, Matthew. <laughs> the Power Rangers are in theaters again. Not right? Hopefully this movie doesn't suck. Hey. Although, okay, they sucked. But, but they had, you know, Van Halen in them. Yeah, they did. Although I'm not hearing great reviews about this Power Rangers, unfortunately. I I kind of... This, this is the problem. When you do something that is beloved and you bring it back and you go, we're going to make it all fresh and new and different and stuff. You've got that thing where the people who loved it are going to go, wait, this is new and different and stuff. And the people who didn't love it are going to go, I don't want any part of this. This is that thing I don't like. Right. So hopefully, I don't know. I'm probably going to try and go see it, but it won't be anytime soon. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah. I don't know if the kids are interested in seeing it at all. They have shown zero interest in any, any movies lately. They all stay home and watch it in, in, in the home theater. So. Tell them you don't want them to go. Say, kids, I don't want you to talk to me about this well, Power Rangers. Thing. That's how I got uh, blocked out of seeing the Batman movie. I wanted to see it, and they both were like, no, we don't want to see it. And then the oldest had a birthday party that was taking place uh, with a Batman, the movie, uh, showing. And uh, the boy comes back and goes, oh, my God, that movie was so good. And I'm like, you little son of a... So, so this week... In honor of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, or is it just called Power Rangers? The Power Rangers movie in theaters this week, we are taking a look at Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Volume 1 from Boom Studios, written by Kyle Higgins and Steve Orlando, with art by Hendry Prasieta and Corin Howell. I don't know how you say uh, Hendry's last name. Sorry about that. Uh, This is... um, Prasieta. Okay. Uh, this is the Power Rangers that Matthew and I were introduced to. Yep. This is the problem that the Power Rangers uh, revamp has run into on the, in the movies is 
these guys are six out of, you know, 15 different sets, hundreds of heroes. Yeah. And, but they, they're special and different and awesome, apparently. Are they? Because that was going to be my first question is, why these Power Rangers? Well, these are the ones that people remember. The thing about it is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers actually ran for three seasons mm-hmm. as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. The characters carried over for a couple of seasons more. Tommy was actually, I think, in through season five, Power Rangers mm-hmm. Turbo, and then left during Turbo. So the three seasons of Mighty Morphin and then Zeo Rangers and then Turbo Rangers is a lot of the characters. This yeah. is the original core five team, including Tommy, the sixth Ranger, which means that this takes place somewhere in season one after green with evil. Yes. Yes. This like is, immediately. After. This is immediately taking place after that. I don't know about immediately, but yes, it's after green with evil. There's, there's a weird thing that takes place because of the nature of the footage of the sixth Ranger that Tommy appears and disappears and appears and disappears several times during the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. But this is some, I, I want to say this is before return of an old friend, but I can't say for sure. But yeah, we'll, we'll say sure. Okay. Give us a rundown of what's going on in this then, Matthew. What's going on in this? Okay. Volume? So there are these kids, right? They go to Angel Grove High School, and five of them were selected by an alien overlord to become a multicolored fighting force. But a sixth kid, Tommy, was chosen by Rita Repulsa, the evil empress of the moon, where there is air, by the way, and people can talk. So mm-hmm. be aware of that. Um, to fight them, he actually threw off the shackles of her restraint. This story picks up where he has come to Angel Grove High School and become an official sixth member of the team. And so these five kids who have had time to get used to fighting as a group of five now have to get used to fighting with a group of six. And then they start yelling at each other. And of course we discover that Tommy is having hallucinations. Uh Oh, (sighs) now are these, you think this is real Rita control or is this, as he says towards the end of the issue, um, his, uh, self self doubt creeping in messing with him. I think it's, I think it's, it reads straightforward. I think that he is having the hallucinations because of his self-doubt interacting with his power coin. Mm. Yeah. It's like the, the green power is like chaotic and and out of control. And it's actually an an ongoing plot point that the green power is just like kind of nuts. (laughs) Yeah. It's just nuts. It's just like, it causes a lot of problems and it apparently is causing Tommy a lot of problems. And apparently Rita has this crystal that uh, starts storing up uh, green ranger energy or green power energy. And so she has uh, figured out a way that by any time Tommy is fighting, it's charging up this crystal with what chaos energy. Mm -hmm. And And I think, if she can get a uh, if she can get a copy of uh, Tommy's sword flute, uh, that uh, she can take control of the dragon sword, his dragon dagger, and uh, and go crazy on San Francisco and open up some portal to somewhere else. Yes, and I think that is the reason why we have to read his hallucinations as hallucinations, because mm-hmm. there's no crossover between the real Rita's schemes to destroy him and his imaginary Rita messing with his head. And going, oh, that's a terrible idea. You're stupid. They don't need you. They don't even like you. And meanwhile, it doesn't uh, feel Red, like it's part of mean, Meanwhile, uh, Red Ranger is all upset because he's trying to tell Tommy what to do, and Tommy's not uh, following the leadership. Yep. 
And of course, the little robot guy's going, "Ay, ay, ay! Why can't you guys get along?" <laughs> Something like that. I am thankful that Alpha is very, very sparingly oh, used. I am so glad mm-hmm. too. That was the one thing because that when when that was the one thing that really took it out for me. Now I know that this was a you know a Japanese import when it was on. And I know that a lot of times in those films, like what Zark Alpha Zark or whatever his name is. Seven Zark Seven. That you have to have in that comedy relief. But my God. Seven Zark Seven isn't in the original. I know he's not. But (laughs) it's thrown in so much that the laughable robot sidekick was what really turned me off about the original series. Yeah. There are a lot of weird things about Power Rangers and about. I would say solidly half of them come from the fact that the footage originally comes from Japan, right? The Power Rangers do a lot of things that to an American audience is like, why are they even doing this? But solidly half of the weird stuff comes from the the localization effort. Oh, Alpha sure. 5 is an American thing. Bulk and Skull are an mm-hmm. American thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes, like, sure, it's cute, it's funny, but a lot of times watching the show i was like why are these characters here why are we spending time on this oh yeah and Especially i was like, and, and i was 11 yeah and, Bunk and skull like, were that way too, yeah. yeah they Bunk were fairly skull were actually they were puzzling to me because if you actually look did you see um the interactions with rita's henchmen mm-hmm. and their squat and babu mm-hmm. bulk and skull seem to be live action counterparts of squat and babu and i've never heard a reasoning behind this other than they thought it might be funny yeah. to have the fat one and the skinny one being all, ah, ha, ha, we are ineffectual villains. Here's, and now we are ineffectual teen bullies. Here's the thing when, cause those two characters appear in the, in the book, right? When they go and talk yeah. to a gold drag or what's his name? Gold lion or gold. Goldar. 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 Uh, I was like, wait a minute, for some reason I remember, and this again, from my three episodes that I watched and the other 10 that I walked in on you watching, uh, in college, for some reason, as I hit that page in the book, I was like, oh, right. Aren't these guys supposed to be Bonk and Skull transformed or something? So that's weird that you mentioned that, even it's though I know that's bon- not the case. But uh, it's weird yeah. that you mentioned that. Yeah, and it, it's something that's definitely there. And it's another weird thing. I mean, when you look at Alpha 5, Alpha 5 actually resembles a character from a previous season which makes sense if Savan kept that part from, they tried to do previous seasons. They tried to Americanize mask man. They tried to Americanize jet man mm-hmm. and they finally were able to do it successfully with zoo ranger, which is interesting because the things that we see here where the characters are, you know, teenagers with these cool technological powers in zoo ranger, they're actually magical dinosaur beings from beyond space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes the the localization so entertaining and so bizarre to me the weird thing the only weird thing that about this issue that i was somewhat troubled with was how everything is modern yeah even though even though this took place in like 95 i'm actually really sort of fine with that i mean if you if you have these stories especially in comic book form it's kind of traditional to do those topical references Clark Kent started out at a time when the newspapers. Oh yeah, no, and he became a, a he became a, a TV uh, anchor. Yeah, yep. And now he works for like a, a bloggity blog blog. But I really enjoy that modernization because it comes over into the characterizations as well. We see 
Billy, who is not quite as socially awkward as he was in the show and not quite as overwritten to use the, you know, affirmatives and the giant words every time. Right. He feels more like a normal kid. And Trini is given more characterization and she's played up as the second smartest. Yeah. Yeah. But also the one who, who sees things and the one who's very, you know, very aware of the people around her. And it really plays up that rivalry between Jason, the natural leader with the super combat skills and Tommy, who is a slightly less natural leader who may slightly be better in the combat and the headbutting that, you know, the basic teenage boy headbutting that you get when two strong personalities interact. I yeah. liked all of that. Yeah, which is like, which is just classic to the genre, right? You got your, uh, Eagle and, uh, what's the other guy? <laughs> you have Mark Hawk. and Jason. Yeah. Mark and Jason. Congo. You got your, uh, Shiro and, uh, well, I guess you have three in Voltron cause you have like Shiro, Lance and the other guy like, Pink. yeah, kind of like in this like three, like a three way elbow fight. Mm-hmm. And when, when you have those groups, they, I mean, the archetypes that they chose for Power Rangers were really smart because they played really broadly and they played to young audiences. But there was also, you know, they can do what we see in this issue where we see bits and pieces. You see things that we didn't get in the show. We see Jason mm-hmm. and Zach stuck in detention talking about what's going on in Zach's home life. And we see interactions where Jason and Kimberly are talking about whether she wants to date Tommy and she's like, no, it'd be a bad idea. And he's like, sure it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I reviewed issue two, two. on the show. <laughs> and I said at the time when I read this, that I thought that there was some sexual innuendo implied in the book. Now that you guys have read it, where Tommy is, uh, is talking to Kimberly and she's like, Oh, would you like to go get some coffee? And he's like, oh, I thought you were only a juice only girl. And she's like, oh, there's a lot of things you don't know about me. And it seems like that that hot coffee innuendo from the video game was like kind of playing out here. And I was like, is that what's really going on? I don't think so. But it's definitely meant to be a flirtatious moment. I mean, it is that is one of the things that. and the, OK, that deep hurting we might as well go to it the original season zoo ranger actually they ran out of footage they went back to toei and said look we're making scribillions of dollars can you make more footage for us and toei said sure and one of the things that they did was they really emphasized the relationship in those foot in that footage between the pink and green rangers Mm, okay because that's where the money was that's what they found that people were really responding to it was tommy that really locked this format in and made people go, Oh, this is an awesome, cool show. I've got to watch it every day before school. Yeah. But yeah, that flirtation is definitely here. And this is early enough in their, in their interactions that it's not quite set. They haven't quite, you know, they are not quite aware that it's mutual. Mm -hmm. And I really like that too. That's the, the thing that I have about the hard part is I can't really put this in the TV show's continuity. Yeah, although yeah. although there's no way to do it, but I know, but the weird thing is Boom Studios and uh Saban have said this stuff is in continuity. This is canonical? Uh, uh, yes. I, I I mean fine 
if you want to say that between episode 7 and 19, suddenly they jumped 20 years into the future and have cell phones. Right. Well, and I think they're speaking in the broadest sense, too, because the Tommy Kimberly first kiss, I think, actually comes at the at the very end of one of his very earliest episodes. So if this is, you know, the story behind the story, this is the Paul Harvey of what happened while you weren't looking at Rita Repulsa. That's one right. thing. Right. Uh, now but this, to say that this is canonical and, you know, that's another. Yeah. It's to... canonical the way that James Bond is canonical and that he right. was hired. He made it to his double O status in 2007 and then went on to have adventures in 1975. Right. 1963 was the next. Exactly. It happens. You travel in time. So there was this prequel issue that was included in this trade paperback, but this is essentially um, issues one through four, which tell the complete story. And I got to tell you, it's kind of refreshing to not have this drawn out to six or 12 issues. Yeah, I feel like there's still kind of a cliffhanger ending on four. Yeah, yeah, there is. And I think that's why, you know, um, I, I don't want to speak and say this is exactly what Boom Studios does. But when they get to the end of what could be an arc, um, they rush that trade paperback out fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, especially if you treat the trade paperbacks as collectible to the right people, if you have this one end on a cliffhanger, then people are going to be more likely to say, oh, that ended on a cliffhanger. I better get volume two when it comes out. Right. So you get, you get a slightly more affordable package, but it actually is treated, you know, like the Japanese comic books that are those longer mm-hmm. albums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you also still have your monthly format floppy floppies. Yep. You certainly do. Uh, so what, what's the bottom line for you guys on this? I kind of enjoyed this. I mean, it, there is the bonk and skull uh, fight with a putty, uh, uh, side story thing say, that's say bulk for me say bulk is that his name bonk i'm gonna call him bonk. Bulk. i understand that you're good you've been calling him bonk for 25 i know years. i'm still bonk gonna call him bonk. yeah bonk, bonk and skull, and skull. yeah there you go uh i i found this as an enjoyable read i mean i don't know who you know all the the inner workings of every character because i didn't watch the tv show religiously but I think for someone who was really into this as a kid, like first season, second season type stuff, you know, when you couldn't find Power Rangers toys at the toy aisle for Christmas. Right. Uh, I think this is something that those people will enjoy a lot. As someone who did watch the show religiously enough to know episodes and, and titles, this is really solid because nothing here requires you to have loved and watched every episode. But if you did, this is deepening character interactions. This is additional insight. This is new takes on things that we saw that maybe didn't get enough breathing room or things that in 1993 were aimed at an eight-year-old. And now we're clearly looking at an older and more sophisticated audience. So we're going to add some nuance. We're going to add some depth. We're going to make it more than just the conflict ball between Jason and Tommy. They're going to set it up to where... You understand why these two young men are butting heads and knowing that Tommy eventually takes over leadership of the team and Jason goes off to the peace conference, never to be seen. Well, not never, never to be seen again. Zach and Trini are never to be seen again. I know. Right? Jason shows up again later, but that's neither here nor there. That's not important right now. In any case, I feel like this is true 
to the the underlying point of what Power Rangers was trying to say, but it does it, I think, with more depth and maybe more subtlety. Because, you know, as we said, Billy's not quite the character that he was, and Trini's not quite the inscrutable thing and yeah, non non character the, the non-existent person and this is very important to me and i'm glad that they did not call it out okay trini is still the yellow ranger zach is still the black ranger they don't make a big deal about it right, and right, that's right, fine right. yeah because you know that's something that people look back and say oh, oh shut up well a lot of people are upset because they switched it in this movie well, I understand why they switched it for the movie. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Season three. Well, I mean, it, it just goes to the point that somebody's going to be upset about something all the time. Right. And that's the thing here is there are bits and pieces of that original thing, those original seasons that are unfortunate in retrospect. Right, right. Uh, not the least of which Jason David Frank's hair, but. <laughs> they have taken that mullet and turned it into something more modern. And they've yeah. taken you know, Zach's flat top fade and they've taken Jason shouting every single word that comes out of his mouth and made it into something that reads really well, that is drawn really well. And I think even if you don't know your power Rangers, the way some people do, this is easy to approach and I think it's yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. 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 Rodrigo, what are your thoughts on this? I thought it was good. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of ways that you can take something like this and this did it right. It gave us power ranger action the way that it usually happened in the story. And it deepened the characters, gave them a little bit more to do. This is the right way to do it. Right. Nobody here was like, Oh no, Tommy is actually a drug addict. Or like, you know, or or just played it so straight that it was just like a, a novelization or a comic book version of just an episode of Power Rangers, right? Mm -hmm. There's new stuff, there's old stuff, and they did it at just the right balance. I think this is a book for Power Ranger fans. Um, I think it's enjoyable, and I think it's something that somebody who's not familiar with Power Rangers is going to have some trouble with because it starts at someone oh, new yeah. has joined the team and doesn't give you a lot of... <laughs> right. A lot of like uh, of what of happened before that. Yeah, that. a lot of context for that. You kind of have to pick it up as you go. But uh, hey, that's comics for you, I guess. Yeah, there you go. All right, listeners, uh, thank you so much for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. And thank you, Rodrigo. And thank you, Matthew. Matthew, where can people find more of you? Well, I'm always behind the Safeway on alternate Fridays with bells <laughs> ring. On the Twitter, you can find me at Mighty King Cobra for all sorts of frippery foolishness and the occasional nerdery. All right. Uh, and you can check me out. I think I said something in the last 60 days on my uh, Tumblr account uh, at Mighty King Cobra. It has a picture of the Green Ranger. You'll know it's me. Rodrigo, what, where, where can people find more of you? Um, you can go to Twitter and find me at Fearsome Critter. You can go to Tumblr and find me at Magic Turtle, or you can go on Amazon and find me at The Tale of Tallest Rabbit, which is a book I wrote. Yay. Excellent. All right. So your we... Tumblr is a turtle and your Twitter is a critter? Yep. Yep. But oh. actually, currently, my icon is a turtle on the critter on Twitter. Well, a turtle is technically a critter, but it also that is That is correct. And it is fearsome because it's a snapper. Oh. All right, uh, Dr. Doolittle, we will be back next week because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if 
This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.